hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So for many people, it's been a while since they've flown anywhere. And if indications of an increase in travel in the coming months are true, I thought it might be a good idea to review the rules around what you can and can't take on board with you with your carry-on when flying. So in a few moments, we'll chat with the folks from CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority, to go over what you might have forgotten. And then we'll learn about a new experience this winter at the BAP gondola called Night Rise, which has been described as an immersive experience of light, sound, and nature. So I'm curious to learn more about that. And a topic that's near and dear to my heart is the abuse animals suffer in the tourism trade. So later in the show, we'll head to Thailand and visit the Save Elephant Foundation, and talk with the founder who rescues elephants from the miserable lives that they live, serving in tourist venues and other attractions. But like we mentioned, let's start things out, reviewing the rules around what you can and can't take with you on your carry-on when you're flying. So to help us out is Sandra Alvarez. She's a spokesperson for CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority. Their website is katsa.ca. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Randy. Briefly tell me what the role of CATSA is so people aren't confused with border security and other things you have to do at airports. Sure. So um, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority uh, is mandated with protecting the public through effective screening of air travelers and their baggage. So we're the ones that are screening passengers, their carry-on baggage, and their belongings prior to their entry to the secure area of an airport. So that's when you're departing from a Canadian airport. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming uh, that a lot of people, like myself, haven't flown for a long time. And I did fly about uh, three weeks ago to Las Vegas and leaving my airport wasn't going through, uh, it was going through Las Vegas, but I forgot that I put a water bottle in my carry on. I didn't didn't want to waste it. Totally forgot about it. And of course they take it aside and say, you can't have that. So it's little things like that, that people uh, kind of forget about, right? That we're going to review. That's right. Uh, The liquids, gels and aerosols, those are common items. They come in cosmetics, in uh, natural products, in food items, and there are things that typically people don't think of all the time, that there are restrictions. So you mentioned water and that liquid gels, aerosols in your carry-on, they are restricted for all flights, domestic and international. So for instance, the um, containers themselves, they must be 100 milliliters or 3.4 ounces or less. These containers must also fit in a one clear, closed, and resealable plastic bag that's no larger than one liter in capacity. And there's only one bag per passenger that's permitted. So examples, for instance, of, you know, typically, yes, we know water is a liquid. Mm -hmm. However, there's other items that fall under this category, and that includes things like toothpaste, creams, shampoos, conditioners, perfumes, Um, And in the food category, there's peanut butter and jams, there's honey, butter, margarine. Um, The upcoming holiday season, 
we'll see kind of more specialty items like pate, caviar, uh, specialty cream cheeses or, you know, the soups and, and gravies you want to bring back home because grandma or mom made such good gravy. <laughs> that all falls under that restriction. And if there are larger quantities, they're great to go in your check baggage. But under the carry-on, it will be that 100 milliliter restriction mm-hmm. in the one liter clear plastic bag. But luckily, people are provided options when they're at the screening checkpoint. Mm-hmm. So it is something to remember. You can exit that screening checkpoint and decide what to do with you know, the caviar, for instance, or the pate, or the specialty creams. Some creams, you know, they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lose them. Mm-hmm. And you can basically go back to the air carrier and register your carry-on as a checked bag and therefore keep all those items and not have to surrender them at the screening checkpoint. Or if you have uh, any family or friends that are still at the airport, you can, you know, quickly step out of our checkpoint hand over those items to your friend or family member, and then come back through screening again. Mm-hmm. What about other items that come to mind? I know there's a whole list and we certainly don't have time for it, but uh, I'm thinking of sharp objects and things like that. So other items uh, that come to mind are, again, speaking of holiday season, inorganic powders and granular materials. So there are there's a limited um, uh, capacity or quantity of 350 milliliters. So that's more or less the size of a soda can. Examples of these are um, mineral-based products like baby powders, uh, cosmetics, salts like gourmet spices or salt blends, cooking and baking powders, bath salts like Epsom salts, and sand. Um, So that could be sand like you went to the beach, Mm -hmm. you want to bring back some souvenir sand. That is restricted to that 350 milliliter quantity or even craft sand and aquarium gravel mm-hmm. that we use for our aquariums, that too would fall under that restriction. You can place it in your check baggage without any problem. Let's talk a little bit about your app because that's very handy because you can almost make a, a list for yourselves. It's got uh, everything you need to know pretty much uh, on there and the yeah. wait times too at uh, the airport that you might be going to. That's right. So it is a, it's a mobile app. You can find information to make it easier to get through the airport security screening. It's available for iOS and Android. And it, like you mentioned, right, it's wait times at uh, the 14 busiest airports across the country. It has a what can I bring list. Um, so this is to find out if any item is allowed in carry-on or not or even in checked baggage. Uh, there's tips for families and, and passengers with special needs or seniors to help them get through the airport security quickly and easily. There's even a checklist, which is really neat, to mm-hmm. help pack before you go. So you can put in like an item like an electronic uh, and see is there, yes, the electronic is permitted, but are there any additional restrictions to that electronic when you're going through screening? So, for example, there is one right now about um, you need to make sure that the cover or the the protective case of that device can be removed and that it can be powered on because you can be selected additionally for screening of those electronic devices. And if you can't take that cover off or show that it turns on, it won't be allowed to go through the checkpoint. Hmm. So little things like that that you might not think about Mm -hmm. at the moment when you're packing, that checklist will kind of give you that reminder to, to dig a little deeper and do a little research before you leave. Anything I've missed you might want to add? You know, I think it's important to note that a few standard practices you'll see at all our airports across the country, COVID-19 measures still in place. Mm -hmm. So if you have any signs of illness, such as fever, cough, difficulty breathing, you can't enter the checkpoint. You still, you know, you do have to wear a face covering that covers your mouth, nose and chin. 
And we do ask the traveling public to try to keep a distance of at least two meters between themselves and another passenger while going through screening. Um, other than that, for any questions, CATSA can be reached on Facebook or on Twitter. And as you mentioned, our website, the CATSA.gc.ca as well. There's you know, uh, lots of information there for, for the traveling public. Sandra Alvarez, spokesperson for CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority. Uh, it's, again, their website, katsa.gc.ca. Uh, thanks for the tips, Sandra. Thank you very much for having me on your show. And, you know, safe travels to all your listeners. Well, there's a new experience for you to try out this winter in Banff at the Banff Gondola. It's called Night Rise. So here to tell us more about it is Dave McKenna. He's the president of the Banff Jasper Collection by Pursuit and Kirsten Ryder, training and development director at Stony Nakoda Nation. The website for reference is BanffJasperCollection.com. So tell me uh, what it is. Uh, any one of you can uh, jump in first. It doesn't matter. So just tell me uh, what Night Rise is. Well, what a kick us off and, and talk about um, night rise is a celebration of the mountains at night. Um, for those of us that, that have the pleasure of living in the mountains, um, there is a, a magic and an aura and a mis- mystery about, uh, about what happens in the mountains during the dark hours. Um, and that there's a, there's a whole different, element of of life and of action that happens that that you don't see during the day so the the start of the whole discussion was how can we help uh people to have this deeply immersive experience um and really get into that that almost spiritual nature of the mountains in the evening um there's there's things out the particularly at the top of Sulphur Mountain, where there's a National Historic Site uh, Parks Canada has that uh, measured cosmic rays coming out of the universe uh, back in the 60s. And so uh, that was the the start of the experience. And um, our journey led us to naturally uh, reaching out to the um, our neighbours to the south in, in Morley and Stony Nakoda Nation um, to say, hey, why don't you come and join us on this journey? and uh, create this this really deep immersive experience for people um and we do expect people from you know around the world to come and experience this and it it allows us to not only share now that sort of natural um natural experience at the top of the mountain but also uh start to share a little bit of the uh the stony nakota culture with uh, both the canadians and visitors from around the world kirsten you want to add something yeah, so I guess um, we were really grateful for this opportunity um, to sort of tell our story since we've been in the Banff area. It's our traditional territory, and we've got, you know, our own stories and experiences that, that's tied to our culture and our language and our traditions in the mountains, and they are very sacred to us. So we um, were really grateful to be approached by, you know, um, Dave and the team and to partner on this because um, I mean any opportunity for us to share you know who we are our culture um, and that we've you know we've always been here mm-hmm. is 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 sort of how we how we stepped into it and uh, so it's always connecting through story 
our story and our experiences and our history in the mountains is what we wanted to share. And so it's really exciting for people around the world and, and all the visitors to be able to learn more about us um, and that, you know, we're, we're still here and uh, it's a good way to be visible and, and to share share who we are. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right. I think the experience at night in the mountains would be wonderful. It is a wintertime experience, though, so I, I guess you, you sort of have to be prepared for the elements at some point, right? Yes. You you know, it's a lot like uh, if you're going to stay at the Ice Hotel in Quebec City, you need to dress appropriately for that experience. <laughs> and so we will have this indoor-outdoor. Um, you know, we, we do not run uh, the gondola, um, you know, at, at temperatures below minus 25, mm-hmm. which for most Canadians, minus 25 is, is very doable. Um, and so the experience actually takes you from inside to outside and back inside. So it, it won't be uh, one where you are outside for, you know, extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. But on those really beautiful crisp nights, you know, when we have the, you know, the, uh, the full moon, cloudless uh, sky, it's going to be spectacular. And I think that crisp winter air is just going to add to the magic of it. Um, and, and particularly then as you are, you know, really experiencing that outdoor um, peace, the environment, and then starting to get, uh, you know, exposed to the, uh, the stony culture. Um, I, and those two things, I know people are going to just really, really find that, you know, spectacularly, um, moving, almost, almost emotive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it does start uh, December second and runs throughout the winter. I'm, I'm guessing people will check on the calendar and see when the full moon is when they're booking their, <laughs> their times to go on the BAMP gondola. But tell me what the experience is going to be like. What can people expect? And like, does it run all evening? Uh, it, it runs from, uh, we will stop our regular uh, operations at around 3, and it'll start somewhere around 4 or 5, depending on the time of uh, time of the year and nightfall. Um, but then it will be really end-to-end. So when you arrive for the gondola, it will be an end-to-end experience that walks you through all of the facilities with different nodes that, that um, start to share things about uh, the wonders of cosmic rays. Um, you know, the, the effect of... Um, the light on the mountains that, uh, you know, Alpenglow and, and how that works. Um, and then some more aesthetic uh, sort of treatments like the diamond dust. If you've seen natural moonlight on uh, on hoarfrost or on fresh snow at the top of a mountain, you, it just looks like a field of diamonds. Um, so there's, there's going to be um, different stages. I believe there's 14 different stages that you will sort of go through on this journey. And it'll take about an hour and a half to to really enjoy the full thing. We'll have uh, dining opportunities, certainly with um, uh, Northern Lights, uh, which is the number two TripAdvisor rated restaurant on the that'll be available on the weekends. Uh, and the number one TripAdvisor rated restaurant in Banff is Sky Bistro, actually at the top. And so both of those will be able to be uh, add-ons to your journey if you want to do that. But uh, Kirsten, why don't you, um, you know, I, I think it's really important for people to understand a little bit about, you know, what to expect from um, from this Stony Nakoda Nation cultural journey aspect. Yeah, so um, as you know, it's a very sensory experience. So you'll be able to hear um, the Stony language and uh, our uh, language interpretations of, you know, Alpine Glow and all of those um ideas that Dave has just shared. So you'll get to hear the language, you'll hear some traditional music, and the music is also stony directed and led as well. 
and then on then you'll get to see um you know stony culture through through the art show which is all you know um visual and at night so it's going to be pretty incredible uh, when it comes together, very excited, but it's uh, definitely, um, and it'll include story as well. So some origin stories um, about winter and, and everything like that, that that we have held for, you know, centuries mm-hmm. in, in our language and culture. So, yeah, we're really excited. Well, it looks like there's a big technical component to this. Um, tell me a little bit about the company involved with that, Moment Factory. Moment Factory, so it's another great Canadian story. They're a, um, an, a technical audio-video uh, and immersive experience company based in Montreal, Quebec. Um, and uh, they were really the ones that were able to take the and translate uh, these great stories and visions and turn it into an actual production line. So um, they're very well known for this in, uh, in Canada. Uh, we interviewed uh, four different companies to see who to partner with, and uh, Moment Factory uh, was the hands-down favorite. Anything either one of you want to add that I might have missed? I, I will pop in uh, something that we're, we're quite proud of in terms of, you know, if we think about truth and reconciliation, and one of the, the uh, premises there is, is that, um, you know, bringing communities together and, and uh, basically all participating in the benefits of, of our society together. And so one of the things, uh, you know, we're, we're super uh, pleased and, and proud to have uh, some, some great uh, Stony people contributing in terms of design. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the bigger story here is that we've, uh, we've done up a, a memorandum of understanding with the, uh, uh, the Stony tribal admin and uh, the three nations in, in that we recognize the the stories uh, that and the value that that brings as intellectual property and so the short story of that is that the uh the stony people will get a a residual return on this this project even though you know it, it's up in our uh, our neck of the woods mm-hmm. um but they will continue to benefit from this um you know financially as long as the story is being told so this recognition of uh of the culture as, as really having a value, uh, you know, high value in terms of intellectual property, I think is a bit groundbreaking and, uh, and a way for um, us to acknowledge the value of uh, our Indigenous cultures to the fabric of this nation. Last words to you, Kirsten. Yeah, I guess I just want to touch on the reconciliation part. This is a really perfect example of reconciliation where it's, um, you know, our community and an external external company or business or you could say coming and working together you know in this area in the Bow Valley um, my hope is that you know we continue to partner with other you know opportunities um, in the Bow Valley um, so that's exciting and this project from Stony is um, I'm speaking for it but it is very much a community a community project for community and uh what it brings for us is very meaningful because we get to share. share mm-hmm. who we are. I like that word, reconciliation. Uh, yeah. Kirsten Ryder is the Trading and Development Director at Stony Nakoda Nation, and Dave McKenna is President of Banff Jasper Collection by Pursuit. You can book your tickets now. It starts December 2nd, Night Rise, at the Banff Gondola. You can go to the website, bampjaspercollection.com to book your tickets. Uh, thank you to the both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.
So one topic that is near and dear to my heart is the mistreatment of animals in the travel industry. And one aspect of that is the use and mistreatment of elephants, whether it be riding an elephant or using them in a show for entertainment. Well, there's one organization that's doing its best to inform people about the treatment or mistreatment of elephants in tourism, and that's the Save Elephant Foundation in Thailand. So we are very pleased now to have join us the founder of the Save Elephant Foundation, Sendwin Lek Chalert. The website is saveelephant.org. Hi, Lek. Hi, Randy. Tell me about the Save Elephant Foundation, how it all came about and how you became involved. The Elephant Foundation we create uh, to help the elephant uh, in uh, in Thailand for the first we start because as, uh, we uh, we so many elephant here is uh, suffer from from many industry as locking street baking circus and uh, for the tourist business so that is uh, when we start to use uh, to help the elephant before we use uh, to help all the elephant in Thailand but now. We also help elephant in different country like Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how big of an area and how many elephants do you have right now in in your particular spot? Uh, this is the before COVID. We have about eighty elephant, but now we have hundred and five elephant, and this is just inside our property. We have about three hundred acres, which is a very tight at the moment, and. We have also the elephant wishes we we help from outside during the COVID, but stay in different property. Mm-hmm. All together is over uh, over 130. And I'm sure there's a lot more uh, elephants that you could save or rescue. Uh, tell me about the problem that, uh, you know, the issue of mistreatment of elephants uh, when it comes to uh, tourist attractions and, and those types of things. It's uh, not only in Asia, but it's in other parts of the world too, isn't it? Yes, you know when the tourist industry uh, start to start to get again, and so many people traveling, and they want to uh, have fun to ride elephant to see elephant circus, you know, to use the elephant to be the part of their travel. The elephant always suffer because behind the behind the show, behind the entertainment, of these elephants have to force uh, to uh, to train for performing trick. It's not just only they just walk out and dancing, performing, but all of them have to train very, very bad before they, they, will, they will come and serve it for people, including elephant riding. And so many people maybe enjoy to ride the giant, uh, uh, you know, giant body, but they have no idea that is how many elephants that have painful with their backbone, how many old elephants, how many pregnant elephants, how many blind elephants that serve it in the tourist industry. So, this is uh, behind the scene of tourism industry. People have no idea, but they just spend money and enjoy the moment with elephant. But these uh, beautiful giants are suffer during the time that people use them to ride and use them for performing. Yeah, it's not a natural thing for an elephant, for, for someone to be riding on an elephant or for them to be doing those tricks. They have to be uh, trained to do that. And, and the abuse that they go through, I think if most people knew that, if they saw that, they probably wouldn't be spending uh, anything to ride on the back of an elephant or see a show, right? Yeah, but you believe it or not, in every year there's over 10 million people come to Thailand and they 
buy the buy the ticket to uh, use elephant for the entertainment and they ride elephant they buy a ticket to see elephant show and this is almost every year uh, before covid and uh, we worry that is after covid it will be more tourist which is uh, will come travel and elephant will have even more hard life because people can wait for traveling and and these elephants will be going going back to suffer again Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about your background, uh, how you got involved personally with uh, with this organization and with uh, looking after elephants. Yeah, in, in Thailand, you know, when uh, we have the elephant in our country, elephant will use for a different industry as start from locking business. The locking is mean uh, use elephant to pull the timber, you know, in the jungle. Many people wonder that is. Why they still use elephant to pull the lumber? Why don't they use machine? So to do the uh, tick or to do the locking business here, and it's always that is no plantation. But the the people who cut the, the tree, cut the lock, is go to the deep jungle, and this is for a uh, natural forest. So the more difficult, a bit no road, they will use elephant. So I have been witness for to see the elephant to work in the uh, the locking uh, business and on that that time it changed my life forever mm-hmm. i have seen the elephant have been beaten a jab with knife and the elephant are screaming and every time when he moved the lock every five inch he looked at me and then he because i stand in front of him i asked the i asked them the person that they do for the you know, they do for the locking in that area to permit me to to stand there and monitor. But, you know, I couldn't believe about what is my eye have seen. This bull is really get abused. And every time when he want to pull the lock, they jab him with a knife and blood pulled out on his face. He's screaming. And every time he's screaming, he look at, at my eyes. And that is touched my heart. And after I came back from that, uh, area from that jungle, I never feel rest because I think that this is this is I I I I never thought this is to be bad. So I went back to the village again and again, went to different area, and then I, I witnessed many cruelty. I witnessed the old elephant, lame elephant, blind elephant, still forced to work. And I when I asked the the mahout or the elephant keepers, I asked them when this elephant can rest. They said when they when they're falling down and they can't stand again, and I asked them why because they said because they don't know where to put it, they where to put these animals, and they just use them until the end of their day, mm. and this is shocked me, you know. And then that is I promised myself if I have to do something, I will start to do voice for these animals, and I never thought that I will come until today, you know, to rescue many elephants. I thought that if I will rescue one bull elephant that I met him for the first time and I want to bring him to get a better life. But the more I have walked into the jungle and I witness more suffer. So I can't turn my back to them. Mm-hmm. And then I start my own organization to help them. Well, it's amazing work. Um, do people, like, how do you get the elephants? How do you find them? Like I say, there's probably 
thousands you could rescue, but how do you, how do you find them? Do they, people bring them to you or they just tell you about, hey, this, you need to go here? How does that yeah. work? Is 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 the elephant come from everywhere? Like a, uh, we get we get the source from animal lover, and we uh, we get a picture from people who visit. Sometimes they found the old elephant that is their their leg, their ankle is already can walk. Mm. They found some elephant blind that still uh, uh, have a saddle in the back, and then let the people ride. And many, many animal lovers send the picture to us. And every time when we heard about this, we will, we will go to you know, monitor, we will go to, in, uh, to check. And after that, we will start negotiation with the owner. And because Thailand, we doesn't have law uh, to confiscate the, the cruelty. And we have no cruelty law. We have no animal right. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that is we negotiation with the owner and we have some some people that help us, uh, they, we will talk to them and we have to buy their life. And this is the, some, of, some of the elephants that stay at our project is also donate from the owner when they, they think they can't use anymore, so they bring to us. Hmm. Because sometimes they're falling down again and again. They don't want to pay for the medicine. They don't want to pay for taking care, so they bring to us. Mm-hmm. So it's many sources that we get them. And this is a nonprofit organization that people should know. So they can donate. They can do. You can actually visit your area, right? And people can come and and view the elephants, right? Yeah, we we uh, we have set up a uh, the volunteer program. People can come and put their hand on, you know, to help for elephant because we have so many uh, old elephant. Most elephant that we rescue is uh, old elephant. Seventy percent of the elephant that uh, we rescue at our project. Uh, is old age, uh, after 60 years old, and many of them notice to chew, to chewing uh, any grass. We have to make a special food for them to keep them alive. Uh, and well, over time, they must uh, get to just adore you. You're the one looking after them now, and you treat them with uh, kindness and love. Yeah, I stay with them, among them. I, every each of them we rescue, I will be with them, and I was first. The first time I met them, and I will carry on to take them, you know, transport them and stay with them on the truck. Some of them, I sit on the truck like a 50, 57 hours uh, on the truck with them, you know, getting to talk to them, calm them, and, and you know, com- comfort them during the during the journey. Hmm. And then, uh, then we become friends. Yeah. Uh, what's your message to people? What they can, what they can do apart from not, you know, ride elephants and see the shows. So I, I you know, one thing that will be more valuable to help the elephant, and I would like to get the voice from everyone, you know, and especially if you are the animal uh, animal lover. So elephant can speak, but we need someone to help to speak to to for them, speak to the people who doesn't know about what's going on with elephant and to help us to raise awareness to education to the other people who will come to travel, not just only elephant, so many animals. They shouldn't be the part of the travel business. They shouldn't be in the part of travel, you know, uh, program. And they, you know, we, they should traveling with respect and kindness to the others. 
Sandin uh, Lek Sherlet is uh, founder of Save Elephant Foundation. The website is saveelephant.org. Uh, you can go on there. There's lots of information. It was really, uh, a re- really a pleasure chatting with you, Lek. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Randy. Thank you to let me speak for the elephant. Thank you. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.